And if you want to turn your Bibles to uh, our reading uh, this morning, you'll notice on your chairs there's a, a card that has our verse for the year, uh, Acts 4, uh, verse 20. Uh, that's what we're going to be looking at, and that's what Phil's going to be speaking on this morning. Uh, but our reading, we're going to read uh, the start from chapter 4, verses 1 uh, to 22. Uh, if you've got a church Bible, uh, that's on page 1095, but Acts 4, uh, 1 to 22. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and, because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. And as the high priest was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and to being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they... But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. And they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Our Father in heaven, we pray now as your word is opened up to us that you would encourage and you would draw all of us closer to you as a result. May you strengthen and equip Phil now as he comes to speak. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks, Dan. Can I just uh, start by wishing everyone a happy new year? Uh, And I just hope that the break over the last couple of weeks has been a real blessing to you. This morning, we're looking at um, the verse, uh, the passage around our verse for the year. Uh, That's that's the, the one that you've seen on your seats. And it says this, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. And the reason why we're going to look at the whole passage is because the whole passage actually builds up to that verse. The whole passage explains how it was that Peter and John were able to say this particular thing with conviction and authority in front of the most powerful and influential people in their country. And that's why we need to read and understand this passage more than anything else today. Because I imagine many of us would say that our verse for the year doesn't describe our everyday confidence and experience. So the question is, how do we own this verse for ourselves? Rather than stick it on the fridge to be forgotten in a few months' time. How do we own it? Well, my prayer for this morning is that as we look at this passage together, we will be able to see why it is that Peter and this could be said, why it is Peter and John could say this so confidently. And ultimately, my prayer is that over the coming year, and possibly even the coming decade, more and more and more, we could confidently reflect what is said in this verse for the year in what we say, in what we do, in our attitude, in our understanding. So let's look at this passage together. With that question in mind, how is it that we can get to this point where we own this verse, as for, we, as for us, we cannot help but, but speak of what we have seen and heard? How is it that this can be said of us? The first thing is, it's really simple, but really profound as well. Listen to the gospel. That's my first point. Listen to the gospel. The incident in our passage happened around 33 AD in the very first few days of the Christian church. And it comes just after a miracle. So Peter and John had been going on their way to the temple to pray. And they met a lame man at the temple gate. And Peter looked at the man. And in the name of Jesus Christ, he commanded the man to walk. And that's exactly what he did. Peter uh, puts out his hand. The man grabs Peter's hand. And Peter helps him up onto his feet. And the man miraculously is healed and goes around, uh, as the old song says, walking and leaping and praising God. It's a miracle. And Luke goes on to record how a crowd rushes to the scene because they've all seen the bloke on the way to the temple. And Peter stands up and starts preaching and teaching them. And then, dramatically, onto the scene bursts the important people. Look at verse 1 and 2. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. For us today, it would be like a, 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 a street preacher suddenly having the, 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 the uh, chief constable of the Met Tab and the Bishop of London suddenly descending on them in one massive motorcade. These are important people. They're making a big deal out of what Peter is teaching. The Sadducees here particularly were an influential people in the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. 
And they were particularly offended by what Peter was preaching. You see, interestingly, although they were Jews, they didn't believe in the supernatural or the miraculous. They considered themselves to be the highest authority when it came to teaching about God, and they totally denied the resurrection. So it's no wonder they're greatly disturbed because of what Peter was teaching and because of what was happening. You know, for a start, Peter and John had just done something miraculous. The lame had walked. On top of that, they were teaching the people. In other words, they were not, they, 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 they were, they were claiming to have a new authority from God and teaching the people with authority. In other words, taking authority away from the official channels. And then on top of that, they were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from, of the dead. And that's Luke's shorthand term to describe a future event when Jesus will return to this world and all people will be raised from the dead to judgment day. Wow. All that the disciples were doing and teaching was new and powerful. And as he preached, we're told that five, at least 5,000 people believed and trusted in the name of Jesus. Now, the authorities saw it differently. They, they, in spite of the miracle, in spite of the crowds, in spite of all that was happening, they put Peter and John in jail for the night. And the following morning dragged them in front of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, a council, by the way, packed full of Sadducees, and asked the question, a great question to be, ever to be asked, by what power or what name did you do this? And then we're told Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he preached the gospel to them. Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. I don't know if you spotted it, but Peter's sermon is full of the truths that were so offensive to the Sadducees the previous morning. He's preaching to his audience. And he doesn't water down his message to get himself out of trouble. Instead, he preaches against the very things that are blocking them from believing and understanding and knowing the true and living God. So he starts off by reminding them of the miraculous that he's being questioned because God healed a lame man. And and the question hanging in the air is simply this. What's your beef? What's your issue? A, a, A kindness has been done. A great miracle from God has been done. Are you offended by that? Why are you offended by that? What is so offensive that God's kindness has been visited on this man in such a miraculous way? Show me the offense that I should be brought before what is effectively Parliament to account for myself. What is it about that miracle that challenges you, that, that just gets under your skin so much that you react so badly to the kindness? That's the question hanging in the air. And then Peter talks about Jesus' authority. You see, Peter had healed the man in the name of Jesus, meaning under the authority and power of Jesus Christ. 
And the obvious thing is, only God has the authority to do the miraculous, to change laws of nature in that kind of a way. So Peter was saying that Jesus is God, and Jesus has that same authority as God to do God's miraculous in this physical world. That's what it means to to do something in the name of Jesus, in Jesus' authority. He's challenging and, 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 and subverting their authority and their claim to be the highest authority. And then he talks about the resurrection. The man Jesus, whom the council had killed, was raised to life by God. What a declaration. The same Jesus who was killed by the men standing there the same, was the same Jesus whom 40 days earlier had caused an uproar in Jerusalem because of his own, because his own prediction about the resurrection had come true. Jesus said he would be killed by the chief priests and elders of the law, uh, chief priests and elders and teachers of the law. And after three days, he would rise again. And it happened exactly as he said it would happen. And that same Jesus who had risen from the dead, healed the man standing before the council. No wonder Peter is able to preach about the resurrection because he has seen it with his own eyes in the person of Jesus and that guarantees the absolute certainty of the future day of all our resurrections. And by underlining these three things, what Peter is doing is he's exposing the hard-heartedness of the Sadducees, the hard-heartedness of the people who are demanding an explanation. They were intent on denying the miraculous, intent on keeping themselves to the highest authority, intent on rejecting the resurrection, and so intent on these things were they that they were in danger of never seeing God for themselves. And then Peter proclaims the good news in verse 11 and 12. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name, authority, under heaven, given to mankind, free gift of God by which we must be saved. Isn't that a great message and great news? In other words, Jesus has come to save us from our hard-heartedness. The man whom the rulers rejected is now the crowning glory of the kingdom of God. He is in the place of honor and majesty and power and authority just like the highest and most important stone in the temple, the capstone. And the only way they might be right with God is by believing in his kindness, by submitting to his authority and by trusting in his power to resurrect us all on the day of judgment. And Luke is recording this not to poke fun at the Sadducees. He wants us to understand that in the same way that the Gospels offended the Sadducees, the Gospel will offend us all. Because the Gospel will challenge the very core of our belief system, whatever it is. Jesus himself described the gospel, his kingdom, as a great invading army. And as God's kingdom, it will offend us. It will offend our concept of the miraculous. It will offend our understanding of who is in charge of our lives, our understanding of our highest authority. It will offend our ideas about life after death. And the invitation is there. 
Salvation is open to all who will listen and believe and trust in Jesus. If we believe in his name, he will save and rescue us from our hard-hearted beliefs. And he will reveal God to us. We will have in his name a relationship with God. Isn't that beautiful? And it's a challenge to us all this morning. Perhaps we've lost sight of the power of God to do the truly miraculous. That miraculous work to change our hard hearts that fight against him to serve him. Perhaps we've, we just don't want his authority over us. We don't want him telling us to do things that we don't want to do. Perhaps, perhaps it is that we need to acknowledge his, his kindness his miraculous, his authority, his definition of those who truly have life after death and bow our knee. It's when we submit to the future glory that he promises that we are saved by his resurrection. The thing that Luke wants us to see in this passage is that that gospel message is the way into a relationship with God, but also it is a way on with a relationship with God. And so the question after this point is, what does it look like to continue in the gospel? If that is the gospel, what effect does that gospel have on every life? And the next thing he has to say, therefore, and this is the second point, is we are to immerse ourselves in Jesus. Immerse yourself in Jesus. Look with me at verse 13. This is such a challenging and possibly, I think, the key verse to this passage. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And it's a shrewd observation that the, that the, 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 the council make. You see, for the previous three or so years, the disciples had been with Jesus. They'd seen him perform miracles. They'd heard his teaching. They'd seen his death. They'd witnessed his resurrection. For three years, they saw how he responded to catching a cold, to stubbing his toe, to, to people dying around him, to people screaming insults at him, and his family thinking at that point that he was mad. They saw him responding to people who deserted him, to children who wanted to play with him, to people who were concerned with their circumstances, who were worried about him, who who were spiritually dead, who were spiritually hungry. They had seen and witnessed every aspect of Jesus' life for three years. They'd been with Jesus. And Luke wants us to see the link that was obvious to the Jewish council. That link between the spiritual strength of Peter and John and the immersion in the person of Jesus that they had experienced and were experiencing. 
And, and in the same way, that link to us is obvious, isn't it? The more we immerse ourselves in the person of Jesus, the more we will see his effect on us in the workplace, at home, in front of the children, even at the school gate. In other words, radical, bold, full Christianity is about the immersion of ourselves into the person of Jesus. How does that make you feel? I'm not going to skim over the facts that for many of us, oh, <laughs> the last way of describing me. For many of us, it's just a tough old thing that we're being challenged to do. For many of us, it's hard because of the big things that we're facing this year. For many of us, it's hard because of the pressure at work that we're under. It's hard because we're struggling to make ends meet. It's hard because we are facing death. It's hard because we're grieving loss. It's hard because our loved ones have turned away from Jesus. Many of us are staring at the next decade wondering whether it's going to be as rubbish as the last one. Some of us are screaming at God to reveal himself. And many of us are simply resigned to the fact that we do God because we do God because we do God. It's a nice place to hang around. Some of us are just lukewarm. We've been like that for years. Neither here nor there. And they shape us, don't they? So when the challenge of immersing yourself in Jesus comes, it's, a, it's great in theory, but Phil, come on. Look at the practice. Look at what we've got to face once we go through those doors. What you're asking is somewhat ridiculous. What does it mean to immerse ourselves in Jesus then? Is it doable? Is it possible? Is it, is it tangible? Is it, where do we go from here? I'm not going to be categorical. What, what I'd like to do now is just throw out some ideas. For those of us who are struggling, who are not at that point, that, that point and who have not been at that point for many years. But just think. When you read God's word... Look for Jesus. Look for Jesus. Try not to just tick the box. I've read that verse. Thank you. Look for Jesus and put yourself in that verse. What does it mean for me? How does it, how does it just challenge my sin? How does it grow my love for him? Prioritize time with him. So, so his face is beautiful. And, and those times are precious. Make prayer a conversation with God about stuff that's going on. 
get to that place where it's not to spend time with him makes you feel a longing like going for a week without a message from your wife or husband or girlfriend or boyfriend conversely just consider what we do immerse ourselves in what about the music we immerse ourselves in what about the non-christian worldview from films and magazines and blogs and instagrams Voices that say we've got to be more mindful, more make more money, have better homes. Can you see that sense of immersing ourselves in Jesus? It's like, it's like getting into a, a really hot bath. It will do us immense good, but there will be painful bits. Maybe even wounds that are festering and we know they need healing. But to immerse ourselves in Jesus, he will address those things. It means trusting him for the future, giving him all our worries, all our cares, all our sorrows, and talking to him about them day after day, hour after hour, year after year, just talking with him. Practically, perhaps we ought to think about downloading Christian music on our phones, subscribing to good Christian podcasts. So in those moments when we're cooking or chilling or driving to work or on the train, do you know we're filling ourselves with stuff that takes us to him, that immerses ourselves in him? Perhaps even deeper than that, immersing ourselves with Jesus means being with other Christians. Not just on Sundays, but in small groups, serving alongside others, joining in the prayer meetings, meeting up for coffee, prayer triplets, one-to-ones. Oh, do you know, the list goes on. Whatever it looks like. These are just ideas. But, but I, I hope the feeling is just immersion and surrounding ourselves with Jesus. And perhaps you just need to go back to basics. Do you know, it's not wrong to join the Christianity Explore course because you've been a Christian for 20 years and you just want to hear the old, old story again. Do it. Please do it. I'd love it if 20 people, 20 people who are faithful Christians just want to hear the old, old story again. Join us on Christianity Explored. But immerse ourselves in Jesus. Let's take that challenge. Let's take that challenge and run with it. You see, the disciples had been with Jesus. There's a shrewd observation by that Jewish council. Let's begin by praying the same for us. And please let's Let's take just one minute after I finish to consider how we might need to do that for ourselves. I'm just going to skim over the last, last point. But, you know, it's wonderful to see what happens when we immerse ourselves in Jesus. That's the next thing. See what will happen when we are immersed 
in Jesus. See, when we're immersed in Jesus, people who, will reject, who, people who reject Jesus will be confused and blinded by that. Look at verse 15 to 18 with me. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem know they've performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And it's, it's quite funny, isn't it? They couldn't deny the miracle. They couldn't deny the power of the message. And interestingly, interestingly, they don't, even though they're hostile witnesses, in other words, they were there committing Jesus to death, to death uh, 40 days earlier at the actual crucifixion event. They were there, and three days later, they were also there when Jerusalem was absolutely filled with the rumor and, and, and the word that Jesus had risen from the dead. They don't deny the resurrection at this point, do they? That's interesting. They cannot deny anything that the disciples see or claim. And yet, because they don't like the message, they tell the disciples to shut up. And that's a normal response. Let me just explain. That's a normal response. The gospel is an offense. It's just fundamentally going to be in our faces if we don't believe it. And everybody is born into this world believing they are masters of their own fate and captains of their own ship. And the gospel says, I'm sorry you're not. Jesus is. For non-Christian here this morning, the question has to ask, how are you going to respond? How are you going to take this? With the blindness and self-delusion of the, of, of the, of the council? I see everything is truth here, but I will deny it. That's what they do. Please don't find yourself in the same situation. Please don't be as blind and as hard-hearted as they were. But for those of us who are Christians, understand, there will be a hard-hearted rejection of Jesus. That's normal. The second thing is, when we, were, um, when we are immersed in Jesus, Christians will be bold in Christian witness. Verse 19 and 20, we're finally there. Peter and John replied, which is, it right in God, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. These guys had been so immersed in Jesus, they just couldn't help it. They really couldn't. And I hope in choosing verse 20 for our verse for the year, we're encouraged that if Peter and John could have this heart and passion and love and boldness for Christ, it's not out of, out of our, our reach to be the same. Not because we must. Please, don't believe that you've got to take that home, put it on your fridge and say to yourself every morning, I've got to be like that. That's not what this passage says at all. Do you know, this happens to everyone who immerses themselves in Jesus. I don't know about you, that is encouraging and challenging at the same time. It's encouraging because I don't have to be like Rico Tice or Michael Green, an amazing evangelist, an amazing public speaker. No, I just have to immerse myself in Jesus. And the challenge, therefore, is 
to take the time to consider how I might do that. Will you join me in that this morning? Because the last thing, and this is the most beautiful thing, I think, when we immerse ourselves in Jesus, people around us will see God. Did you notice that in verse 21? After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. Jesus puts it like this in in Matthew 5, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, I I say it again and again, but light in in the New Testament is always the revelation of God. So, so when, so when you have, when God has revealed Himself to you and you understand it and get it and it fills you, that light, that understanding, that revelation of God cannot stop shining out of you. In your language, in your actions, in your care, in your love, in just being so oddly different to this world, that is the light of the revelation of God inside of you. And people cannot help but notice it. Literally, the revelation of God that had come to them was evident for everybody to see, and they were just praising God for all that had happened. And if you read the rest of the chapter, if you read the rest of the book, that revelation shone and shone and shone in the lives of more and more Christians who understood and knew God as the gospel hit them and changed their hearts and revealed God to them. They shone that understanding of God was evident around them. The people of Jerusalem recognized it. The regions of Samaria and Judea recognized it. The ends of the world saw it and recognized it. These men had been with Jesus. They could not help speaking about what they had seen and heard. Let's long for that. Let's pray for that. Let's beg God for it. And for us corporately in the coming year. So our town, our region, our country, our world might see the light of the revelation of God in a people who are immersed in Jesus. Let's take that minute now to ask ourselves, what does immersing ourselves in Jesus look like today? Look like tomorrow? Look like this year? And let's ask God. Let's ask God that in the coming year, this would truly describe us. Because we're immersed in Jesus. Let's bow our heads and take the time to think that through now. Dear Father God, we confess to you how much we need to immerse ourselves in Jesus. And Lord God, we understand that this is a work that 
we will forever be having to fight ourselves to see happen in our lives. Lord God, forgive us when we don't want to immerse ourselves in Jesus. And may you fill us by the power of the Holy Spirit. That we would want to. More and more and more. Through your word, through prayer, through fellowship, through the sacrifice of giving, Lord God, teach us to immerse ourselves in Jesus so that more and more we might be able to say and truly believe and truly mean these words. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.